Hello and welcome along to the Southampton versus Newcastle United programme for the Premier League match to kick off on Sunday, 6th of November. In this week's programme, we have our usual in-player focus, this time with Adam Armstrong, our Southampton women's update, a brilliant piece about being guest saint for 80 years, a tactical watch over our opponent, managed by Eddie Howe, before we finish off with Franny Benali. But first, time for your pretty much notes from your manager, Ralph Hassenhutel. Dear supporters, welcome back to St Mary's for today's Premier League match against Newcastle United. I would like to begin by welcoming head coach Eddie Howe, his staff and all the players of Newcastle United to Southampton. We know the task facing us against a side that has lost only one game so far this season, but this was the challenge we had against Arsenal last time here and we showed we can compete against these teams. The key to that performance was the belief we showed. The attitude of the players was fantastic, even after a tough start, and they were rewarded in the second half with a beautiful goal and a deserved draw. Last weekend against Crystal Palace was a frustrating game for us, because when you do not take your chances, then you don't deserve to take points. Today, we know we must be better from the first whistle. Now we're into the last week before the winter break. This is something I've experienced previously in my career, but never for six weeks, which is a long time to go without playing. This makes it very important that we leave ourselves in the best possible position going into the break. We have to fight for every ball and give everything to take the points from these last two Premier League games to help us climb the table. As always, we need you behind us at home. The atmosphere inside St Mary's is crucial to the success of this team. Staying positive in the difficult moments, encouraging the players and proudly singing your songs. We will do everything for us to have a successful Sunday afternoon and continue to fight for our club. We march on. Life is about to change for Adam Armstrong, whose wife Rebecca is expecting their first child in the coming days. But one thing that won't change is the striker's desire to score goals, even against the team he grew up supporting. He might be a long way from Newcastle, but if home is where the heart is, Adam Armstrong's heart belongs to Southampton ahead of today's showdown with his boyhood club. The affable, low-maintenance Geordie is all smiles as he invites the Saints team into his house on the outskirts of Winchester, half an hour from St Mary's Stadium, where he faces Newcastle United this afternoon. Topics of conversation range from adapting to his new life on the south coast, how he spends his spare time off the pitch, and the imminent arrival of his first child, to returning to the Premier League after six years away, being a World Cup winner and the feeling of wanting to beat the team you once idolised. Armstrong takes the lead on a tour of his home, which he shares with his wife Rebecca, whose due date for the couple's baby is November 16th. It could come any time now, he says excitedly. It's eye-opening to a parent and it's something that we're looking forward to. Hopefully we'll be fine. It's a little boy, so we'll have him kicking a football around in no time. Armstrong admits Rebecca has been the driving force behind kitting out the baby's room, which already includes some classic children's books on the shelves. The due date comes at a good time for the striker, with Saints players being given some time off after the final game ahead of the World Cup break against Liverpool next weekend, before they embark on a mini pre-season in preparation for the Premier League's return on Boxing Day. Hopefully, touch wood, if everything's alright, I'll have the two weeks off with the baby, he says. I don't think many footballers can say that they've had that with their child, so that'd be nice. Do we around every day and get really tired. 
Armstrong often mentions the support of his family, who are regular visitors, even from Newcastle, and will help Rebecca with the childcare once Saints' manic schedule resumes over the festive period. While teammate Shay Adams is currently expecting a baby girl, a future girlfriend for his son, perhaps, Armstrong jokes. Shay is the same time, really, any time now, so it's interesting. We don't live too far away, so we're always there to help each other out, so that's quite nice. I knew Shay quite a bit before I signed here, and ever since I signed, we just clicked. Our wives get along, and like I said, we're not too far away from each other, so it makes things much easier. Football is a small world, Armstrong will tell you that. His move to Saints 18 months ago, the same summer he and Rebecca tied the knot, reunited him with former Coventry City teammate Jack Stevens, while Carl Walker-Peters and Ainsley Maitland-Nars were members of England's Under-20 World Cup triumph in 2017, in which Armstrong featured in four matches and scored in the three Lions opening game against Argentina. Though already used to relocating around the country following loan spells from Newcastle to Coventry, Barnsley, Bolton Wanderers and Blackburn Rovers, the latter becoming a permanent switch, he'd never been anywhere near as far away from home as he is now. I think at first it was probably a little worry, he admits, but there's a flight every day from Newcastle to Southampton and my family are happy to drive down. They love their football and they love coming to the games, so that's the main thing. They always come to the home games, which is good, and we can make a weekend of it as well, so they're not just coming and then going straight away. That's pretty nice. His Saints career, which started with a debut goal at Everton, began with a three-month solo hotel stint. Not ideal for a man who, by his own admission, can cook fajitas or a bit of pasta, but nothing much. But it did allow him to get used to his new surroundings. I've done it a few times, but not for that long, he says of the hotel life. It was good. It was interesting going out to see different things and having takeaways every night. The house tour continues now with a step into Armstrong's games room, the smallest room in the house, where he has a PlayStation 5 and some eye-catching football memorabilia on the walls, including framed shirts and signed match balls. I don't really collect many shirts, but I think it's something I'd like to start doing, because when you come to retire, I think that'll be amazing. Something to look back on where all those players were and how they did in their career, he explains. At the moment, it's just his own shirts that hold pride of place, but he'd like to have more to show to his son in the years to come. That's probably the main thing now, becoming a dad and him seeing everything that I had and what I achieved in my career. Hopefully, he could be the same. Among those on display are two England shirts from the World Cup win and under-17 European Championship triumph for the years prior, in which again Armstrong played a prominent part, and his first shirt at Newcastle, where he made his debut in the Premier League at 17 years old, with the number 43 on the back. I think there were seven players who were involved in both squads, he says, of England's successes. I think if you look at our World Cup squad now, I think everyone's still playing at the top level, so we had an unbelievable group and performed quite well on the pitch together. The use of quite well is typically modest from a naturally understated character who lists Fikayo Tamori, Lewis Cook, Dominic Solanke, Freddie Woodman, Josh Onimer, Patrick Robertson, Dominic Calvert-Lewin. He scored the winning goal to win the World Cup, so I've got him to thank for that, along with Maitland Nars and Walker Peters from the squad, while Joe Gomez and Marcus Rashford were also in his age group. That's for me to look back on when I get a bit older and retire. I can look back at these good memories, he adds, before recognising his hours in the games room are likely to be heavily reduced following the new arrival in the family. I like to spend a bit of time in here after training and speak to friends from back home, he says. 
That's probably the main reason I play, to keep in touch with friends back home and see how they're doing. I play a bit of FIFA and Call of Duty with Shay, but uh, Shay's the proper gamer. He's the best at both games I play. He tries to be nice to us now, but it's getting to the point where it's pointless even playing him at FIFA. He's really good. Hopefully I'll beat him one day. The final stop of the tour is the living room where Armstrong watches a lot of football, though Rebecca is happy with that and a keen fan herself. The conversation turns to the here and now and how the striker feels about establishing himself as a Premier League player. I wouldn't say established yet, but I always think that if you had hit 100 caps in the Premier League, you can say that you've had a good career, he states, unaware he's now exactly halfway to that milestone. To get to the Premier League is amazing and it's been quite enjoyable to see different leagues coming across different managers, different tactics. It's been eye-opening and it's benefited me massively, as well as playing in different positions as well. The main thing was to get back to the Premier League. That was the first thing on my mind when I signed for Blackburn, to try and help Blackburn get to the Premier League. But if it wasn't them, hopefully I couldn't get back there. Of his half-century of top-flight appearances... 35 have come as a saint, including three goals, another number the striker is determined to improve on, though the mitigating factor has been Ralph Hassan-Hootel's tendency to use him in a wider role, flanking his mate Adam in attack. I've always been a goal scorer growing up. I've always played number nine, he says. I had a spell at Blackburn when I played left and right wing for a good season and a half, and I enjoyed it. I really liked it. I'd say you get on the ball quite a lot more, get to drive at defenders, so it's been good. I'm not too fussed where I play at the minute. I never put pressure on myself anyway, he continues, on the topic of scoring goals. It's something that I was doing as a kid, so why would I start moaning now or start playing on my mind if I wasn't scoring? That's football. You see the best in the world miss chances, but the numbers always do the talking, and that's what I want to get more of. More assists, more goals. Hopefully that will come from this season. When Armstrong has scored his goals against Aston Villa and Chelsea, both at St Mary's, proved decisive in earning three points for Saints. That Chelsea game was unbelievable, he grins. To get the winner in front of the crowd and the lights, there's no better feeling. It's something I'm very proud of. Joining the Newcastle Academy at the age of nine, Armstrong grew up idolising Ang Shearer. Ironically, following his hero's path between St James's Park, Ewood Park and St Mary's, albeit in reverse. Both sides of the family at Newcastle through and through, but Saints number nine is adamant there will be no split loyalties come kick-off. They've got to be Team Armstrong, haven't they? They've followed us around many times and I've played Newcastle before with Blackburn, so that was interesting. He scored in that game, in the FA Cup, but finishing on the losing side after extra time. It was good, with a bit of banter, but when it comes down to the game, I think they're all supporting me and wanting me to do the best and get the win. This is your Southampton women's update. Saints continue their unbeaten league run against Sunderland. A triumphant return to St Mary's at the weekend saw Southampton FC women beat Sunderland 1-0 to cement third place in the table and continue their unbeaten league run ahead of the November international break. Katie Wilkinson's effort from a 25-yard free kick, the first to dirty the gloves of visiting goalkeeper Claudia Moan after only four minutes, not that Saints' early dominance came as no real shock given the league position of each team. The home side, Siege, showed no signs of slowing down as the 10th minute came and went. Both Wilkinson and Lucia Kendall trying their luck around that time, stopped by the well-positioned Moan and the excellent sliding block of Gracie McCatty, respectively, as Sunderland clung on. Credit to the away side too. 
as, after absorbing the early pressure, they began to grow into the match as the 20th minute neared, earning four corners in quick succession. The last of these was swung directly on target by Tyler Dodds, forcing Kayla Rendell to take swift action and punch clear with her right fist. Ella Pusey looked set to grab her second of the season in the 26th minute after being threaded through perfectly by Wilkinson. However, for the second time in the match, a last-ditch sliding challenge was just enough to deny the home side an opener. Continuing in its unpredictable rhythm, the next highlight of the game, courtesy of Emily Scan's right boot, came from the midfielder, setting herself from approximately 20 yards left of goal before whipping her vicious effort towards Randall's near post, forcing the stopper into an impressive diving save on 40 minutes. Megan Wynn's unfortunate miss shortly after was arguably the third or fourth presentable chance Saints had failed to convert, even though it was a good chance. As half-time approached, there was a growing sense they could make their next count. That chance arrived in the second half, though, in the 58th minute, and it perhaps fell to the perfect person. Wilkinson, once again doing brilliantly to flicker, had a backwards towards the penalty spot before the informed Pussy stole in at the far post to roll her first-time finish home, confidently beyond the outstretched moan, leaving the goalkeeper helpless. It was a goal met with jubilant appreciation by Saints' 2,799 strong home faithful, whose aim was to now support their side in navigating the crucial half-hour that remained. That was a task Southampton managed impeccably right through to the 90th minute, resisting every attack their opposition threw at them in a bid to draw level and avoid successive league defeats. Now time for a short section, and it's a one-off for this programme, 80 Years a Saint by Duncan Holly. At 92 and a current season ticket holder in block 28 of the Kingland stand, there is every chance Phyllis Coleman is the oldest Saint supporter still attending matches on a regular basis. What is even more impressive is she first watched the team in the 1941-42 season, more than 80 years ago. Then her father, Percy Smith, who was on the Saints Supporters Club committee, persuaded her to help him sell raffle tickets during matches at the Dell to help raise funds for the club. There was no looking back for the 12-year-old. She went to her first away match in January 1947, travelling up to Newcastle on the overnight train with her parents to witness Saints take a 1-0 half-time lead. But future Saint Charlie Wayman scored a second-half hat-trick to ruin the occasion and make the railway journey home seem even longer. From then on, she hardly ever missed a home game, even ensuring both her sons were born in the summer close season and regularly travelled to away matches, always accompanied by Norman, her husband of 59 years, who sadly passed away in 2012. In fact, their last away match together was the bubble trip to Fratton Park for the 1-1 draw in December 2011. She was at Older Shots in 1957 to see a teenage Terry Payne score his first goal for the club. By then, getting tickets for away matches wasn't a problem as her cousin, Mary, had married Ted Bates, the Southampton manager, and the two families were particularly close. Phyllis, who had served a five-year tailorous apprenticeship, would repay Ted for all the tickets by rustling him up bespoke suits. Phyllis only stopped working in 2018 when she was made redundant. That still rankles with her as she reckons she was still very capable as a bespoke tailor and was as fit as a fiddle despite being in her 89th year. Her attendance at Wembley for the Chelsea vs Saints FA Cup semi-final that same year backs her claim. Her favourite all-time player is Matt Letizia, although Steve Williams, Mick Channon, Derek Reeves and Johnny Hoskins all get honourable mentions. Phyllis has 
grown up in the chapel area of Southampton in the 30s and has vivid memories of her house in Anglesey Terrace taking a direct hit from a German bomb which destroyed her child at home. She had been at school but her mother and younger brothers had only survived after diving under a table in the air raid shelter. After 80 plus years of watching the ups and downs of Southampton Football Club, you could say Phyllis Colmer is something of a survivor too. Time now for your tactical watch on Newcastle United. What's the feeling surrounding the Toon Army this season? Newcastle are flying high. They come into this weekend in fourth place in the Premier League, meaning whispers of a European charge have genuine merit. They're scoring freely, have the league's best defence, after only conceding 10, and have won the hearts and minds of St James's Park after years in the doldrums. Clever recruitment over the past 12 months has bulked up the 11 and allowed them to not only dominate certain games, but go toe-to-toe with some of the best in the division too. Consistency is key. They won five games in October, equalling a club record. And it's epitomised by Sven Botman, who joined in the summer, who played 12 games for the club and is yet to lose. Many of these Newcastle players are playing the best football of their lives, with the likes of Joel Linton and Miguel Almiron reaffirming the importance of confidence in football. What makes them tick, though? Well, it's perhaps more of a who than a what, as although Newcastle have been excellent as units so far this season, there's a man in the middle pulling all the strings. Bruno Grumelesh. A marquee pickup from Lyon last winter and an Olympic gold medalist too, Bruno is a pass master who sits at the base of the Magpies midfield and pings the ball to a variety of places. There's a particular emphasis in Eddie Howe's tactics of inviting opposition pressure in order to play over it into the runs of Almiron and Co. The centre-backs chip in with few balls, but really the scheme is built around Bruno's accuracy over distance. He'll provide Southampton with a classic conundrum of whether to close him down and risk exposing the defence, or standing off him and letting him dictate. How can the Saints hurt them? Paradoxically, the tactic Newcastle used to bait opponents into opening up the weakness could well count as their own Achilles heel. Newcastle are a high-pressing team. That approach to the game, as Saints know more than most, comes with a test of risks that balance out the reward. If the pressure fails, or is played through, there's a lot of space in behind defensive lines to potentially exploit. It's for that reason so many clubs favour athleticism and recovery speed in their centre-backs nowadays. But in this sense, the Magpies go against the grain. Fabian Shaw and Sven Botman can be vulnerable against raw pace, while Dan Byrne is certainly the only 6'7 left-back about. Kungmanston escaped uh, been behind a number of times in Tottenham's defeat to Newcastle last week, while Leon Bailey caused a few issues for Aston Villa last weekend too. If Saints can catch them high up the pitch, they can be turned. Adam Armstrong's straight-line speed and Shadam's work in the channels could be hugely important here. Patience and perseverance may also be key, as Newcastle have conceded eight of their ten goals in the second half of games, something that may be symbolic of their high-intensity approach. Time now for your final part of the programme, Franny Benali's piece. It was good to see the Saints get an impressive point against Arsenal in our last game at St Mary's. It was no less than we deserved. After Arsenal's start, I thought it was going to be a tough day for us, but we managed to turn it around in the second half with Stuart Armstrong's equaliser. The resilience from the defensive unit was good, and Lianco caught the eye. His display was fabulous to see. From my own experience, there is often a fine line in football between the passion and aggression you can play with to overstepping the mark. You could certainly see the Brazilian's passion, desire and commitment to win. He came under some criticism from the Arsenal fans, but our own crowd loved him. Our game at Crystal Palace really was huge for us. 
our three previous results had been good and it would have been ideal to follow that up on the run with another positive result. The fact we lost now puts some pressure and added importance on the Newcastle-Liverpool fixtures. Clearly there was an effort to bring in a goal scorer into our squad during the summer window. It didn't happen and we are seeing the pressure that is being put on others. I'm sure this is an area that will have to be addressed in January. It is not nice seeing us in the position we are in the table with the six-week World Cup break coming. There are still three matches to be played in all competitions and we need to build momentum again and release some tension. This afternoon's clash with Newcastle will still be a challenge. They have been in a very strong form this season, losing just once in the Premier League and conceding the least amount of goals. Despite these facts, no team is unbeatable and it's all about how we go out and perform on the day. We also have our cup fixture against Sheffield Wednesday midweek. That will be a chance to switch to a different mindset, progress in another competition and hand a chance to some other players. Supporters on Twitter may have seen a recent poll I ran asking whether the Benali moustache should make a return. The results gave a resounding yes, so I have little choice now, much to the disappointment of my wife. I'll be signing up to participate in November, a great cause to support and raise awareness around men's health issues such as prostate cancer, testicular cancer and men's suicide. Keep an eye on my social media channels for updates. It was also good to be filming at our Staplewood training ground in the past week for an upcoming Premier League Productions feature with Mohamed Salisu. I'm sure you will enjoy it when it gets televised. Lastly, this will be my final programme column before our Boxing Day meeting with Brighton, so I'd like to wish every Saints fan a very happy Christmas well ahead of time.